If you asked, you know, what are the five greatest brands in the world? If you asked, you went out and you asked professionals this question. You know, I think Nike would be on everybody's list. Coca-Cola would be on everybody's list. Disney would be on everybody's list. And Apple would be on everybody's list. This is Tattoos Not Brands, a podcast that explores how we as marketers can give meaning to our products and services without conforming ourselves to a rigid set of rules or copying the status quo. Every episode, we're talking to different marketing experts to understand the choice of a tattoo or the imposition of a brand. Let's get started. Welcome to this week's episode of Tattoos Not Brands, marketing outside the lines. I'm your host, Nova Lorraine. And I'm your host, Clint White. On this episode, we'll be talking about what it takes to be philanthropic while creating a high-end fashion company. Nova, I have a question for you. What are your thoughts on the dichotomy of creating an amazing luxury company while still doing charitable activities? Hmm, You know, I don't know if it's so much of a dichotomy. I think that luxury and charity in my mind go hand in hand. I feel that individuals Mm -hmm. that have reached a place in life where they can give back and they can be philanthropic are in a position where they also can afford the pleasures of purchasing items that not necessarily are needed, but wanted. And items that at price points that fall into that luxury category. And I also feel that individuals that have had that level of success that have have been able to reach those heights within their lifestyle, have a desire to give back. They have the free time to enjoy the arts, to to travel, to support other creatives on their journey upward. And so I see it as going hand in hand. I can't say that all luxury companies make it a point to do that, but I feel it's something that if you are in the beginning stages of your entrepreneurial journey, It's something you absolutely should consider building into your business model because it makes sense, not just from a business standpoint, but then also from a storytelling standpoint where your customer base sees a human side to the business as well. Yeah, I hear you. That's interesting and important perspective. I think that the thing that kept coming up in my mind when I was thinking about this is it's a similar disconnect that comes into play when we think about tattoos versus brands and that the differentiator is scale Mm. and your scale can be self-defined. You know, Mm -hmm. brand scale is by its own really definition, it has to be large. Brands are major. Brands are global and known by eight or nine or 10 people walking down any street in in our country. So Mm -hmm. in order to do that, the for it to matter, the scale needs to be appropriately thought of. Now, with the tattoo, you define your own aspirations, your own rules of the road, your own vision of success. So, philanthropy can be as foregrounded or subtle as as you think it should be, and comes with the reality that brands are generally rigid and fixed, and tattoos are flexible and and more creative. Is that am I crazy? No, you're not. You're not. Well, you're I am crazy. crazy. <laughs> you are, no. well, yeah, as you were sharing what came to mind <laughs> <laughs> in terms yeah. of a tattoo, deciding if it's something that's going to be at the forefront or more behind the scenes as it relates to their story, their narrative, 
and or their business model, I was thinking of Tom's, Tom's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the book that really spells out how the company was created and founded. And and for every shoe created, there was a shoe donated. And the investors that the founder was going to, I was like, that'll never work. That'll never work. And, and, you know, in the beginning they were negative for a while, Mm -hmm. but it was part of, it was a key part of their story and narrative and look where they are now. And so it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, a lot of companies choose for it to be, oh, and by the way, we donate X, Y, Z, if they share that at all a good amount donate and don't share it publicly in any of their marketing materials. But I, again, as a tattoo, you can contemplate, okay, where does this fit into the onion layer of our narrative? Is it going to add value? Or is this just a part of, as a founder or co-founder, is it just a part of who I am and the DNA of myself as a person? And I want that also to be right. woven into the DNA of the product, the service, and the story. Yeah, yeah. And maybe also thinking more, what's the right word to say, uh, profit-oriented, mm-hmm. does the association help build demand? Does it increase demand? And that's, that's it's most likely that it should because the halo effect or the community association or the just the articulation of what matters to you when that lines up with somebody else's values creates more of a trust and more of, or which creates more demand. So I, th- I think that is also Something that you see maybe from like Tom's or Bombas, the socks Mm. that donate in equal stead. And then even you see like the NFL, right, gets Mm -hmm. involved with breast cancer awareness. And I think that it's a pretty stark, what am I trying to say? It's a stark effort to soften the game and open up lines of communication outside of the core demographic. That's right. I'm well, not sure if it, I'm not sure if it works, but it that's just a kind of stark example. Yeah, and then I think that's the beauty of playing in the beginning for any new entity is playing with these ideas. And some things like you said, some things are going to work and some things aren't. And Tom's is a great example of from the balance sheet, you are, you would probably be like this is not working. But it really was what allowed them to put their flagpole in the ground and claim their space amongst all the other shoe companies that were Mm -hmm. already in the market. So speaking of products and shoes and accessories, we have Alexandria Alley from F&W Style in the studio. And we're going to dive a little deeper on not just philanthropy and luxury, but how she's able to navigate the waters of growing a brand as a woman, as an immigrant, as well as being able to give back along the way. Super excited to have Alexandria Ali here with us today in the studio. Welcome, Alexandria. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here. Yes. And Before we get started, before we dive into the Q&A, I just want to share with our listeners a little bit about you and your background so they can also share our excitement about hearing more about F&W's style. So Alexandria started her passion for fashion at age 10 when she persuaded her mother to let her be an assistant at her fashion design studio every day after school. At that young age, she learned a lot about design 
and running a fashion business. At the age of 13, her family moved from Nigeria to Atlanta, Georgia in the U.S., and she started her modeling career. Alexandria modeled for major companies throughout the Southeast U.S., and as her modeling career advanced, she fell in love with the beauty and glamour of the industry. However, she realized that most women, including her, cannot afford the luxurious accessories and clothing that she modeled in these many magazines and on the runway. Well, after earning her master's degree in business in 2008, she decided to put her educational background with her years of experience in the fashion industry to create a luxurious brand that the busy woman on the go would love. With the support of her husband, Alfred Ali, and her two amazing kids, (laughs) I love that, F&W Style was born. F&W Style handbags are in over 1,000 boutiques and retail stores, including Nordstrom, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls. F&W Style has also been featured in several publications, including Oprah Daily, Vogue, Essence, Black Enterprise, and many more. And it's also donned by celebrities, including Gabrielle Union, Tiffany Haddish, and others. Well, okay, Alexandria, amazing, a little accomplished. Amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for that intro. <laughs> yeah. You're just getting started. That's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump in. So how would you describe F&W style? So I would describe it. You mentioned a little bit about it. We're affordable luxury leather handbag brand for busy women on the go. And when I say busy women on the go, I mean women that have a full life. They're, they might have their work life where they're either entrepreneurs or they're working in a corporation. They might be a mom that's trying to juggle everything and put it all together. Um, they have their family life, but they still want to have a social life with their friends. And we provide luxury handbags that take them from day to night, something that makes them feel comfortable, that makes them feel beautiful and colorful. And that's what FNW style is. Alexandria, tell us about the name. What's behind FNW? What does that stand for? Yeah. So that's a question everybody's always asking. So really, it's really simple. My husband's name is Fred and he started this company with me. And my Nigerian name is Wumi. And the Mm. funny thing is when, yeah, when me and him first started dating, me and him, we love to dress up. And then we always used to match. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) But anyway, we used to match all the time and people will say FNW. And Mm -hmm. it just kind of stuck. When we started our brand, we called it that FW style. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that's, that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It's so cool. It's great great to stick with something that's personal and a great icebreaker for mm-hmm. t- indicating how just family-oriented and authentic you are. It's really, really smart. What about any other sort of personal touches have you incorporated in into F&W? Oh, I mean, the whole brand is just kind of us and my family and my experiences and my friends and people that I meet along the way is all tied into our brand. Everything from bags that we've had, like the Sade bag, which is a handbag that's made with a handwoven cloth that they weave for us in Lagos, Nigeria. This bag, the cloth, the Ashoke fabric that's made with the bag was a fabric that people use back home for royalty and during weddings and things like that. I wore it for the first time during my wedding 
And I thought that the cloth was just so special. And I felt like we should bring that feeling of royalty to women everywhere. So I went ahead and just made it, made a bag out of that fabric. A lot of the bags that we have, the names from our Nikki bag to our Lola bag, those are named after my sisters because it just embodies like their personality. I have bags named after my friends, people that I meet. The Michelle bag is named after Michelle Obama because it's a strong, powerful bag that I feel like the career women can take everywhere with them. So it's all of these things just have my personal stories intertwined with it. Mm, one of the things that jumps out at me is just the passion in your voice (laughs) (laughs) with everything you're sharing with us. And I mean, if this was my first time coming across F&W style, I would be like, okay, I want one too. You sold me on it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm sure that's reflected in everything you create. And Clint and I talk about this often as it relates to storytelling and having the opportunity where founders have the opportunity to really look at the layers of storytelling, starting with the name, the logo, the colors, the why, why are you even bringing this to market? And, you know, mm-hmm. as Clint had asked, what are those personal touches? And there's so many that you just shared from the naming to the inspiration around the textiles to personas mm-hmm. that you're meeting and embodying with each and every style. And that's what I like to call the stickiness that you're creating with your company where consumers are going to want to come back. They're going to have these bits of storytelling to share with their friends and then see what's new. Because as a woman, I know that I might be feeling a little flirty today, but maybe I want to be that power woman tonight. And so having the opportunity to express ourselves in the many ways that you're offering through your collection, I think is so, so smart. Thank you. Tell us about kind of the not so sunny side of <laughs> of business. Like what are your challenges? Where have you found headwinds or roadblocks? Mm-hmm. I feel like just as an entrepreneur and a business person, I mean, the roadblocks come every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I guess some of, the, some of the major ones I would say would be when we first got started is the finding of the manufacturer somebody to help bring these ideas, these sketches to life and do it in a way that it was quality material, quality stitching, things like that. I needed to be able to find somebody to be able to do that and a a manufacturer that I could grow with. And that was definitely very challenging in the beginning. I think another one was the funding. As we continue to grow, you know, now you have the manufacturer and now if things are grooving, you're getting these big stores to carry your line, but how do you actually fund all of this um, to bring it out to market and to be able to sustain um, the brand? And I think those were some challenges that we had to face head on and kind of find a way to move past. And, you know, we're still growing every day and new challenges. I think once you go through one challenge and you conquer it, As you grow, you get to the next challenge. But I think as I've continued to grow and this brand has continued to grow, I understand that those are going to come and that's part of the growing pains. I have to go through that in order to get to the next level that I want to be at. Hmm. Hmm. How would you define the next level or how, how do you make those goals? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, when I started this brand, I started it because I just wanted to do something in fashion and my husband kind of pushed me to do that. 
But as I continued to do research, I found that that there weren't a lot of Black-owned brands in the luxury space that was a household name. And this was when I started 12 years ago. And still now, there's not that many. Really, that is my true goal behind all of this, is I want to be able to leave a legacy for my daughter, for people that come after me to know that, you know, you don't have to come from a certain background. You don't have to come from money in order to be able to make it to that status. And I won't stop until we get there. So my next goal (laughs) is to become a household name brand. (laughs) Mm, I just got goosebumps when you shared that. We have a similar origin story as it relates to being immigrants Mm -hmm. and being Mm -hmm. in the luxury fashion space. I was born in Jamaica. My parents immigrated here. And I, many moons ago, decided that I wanted to do couture. And I always loved the fine art of fashion. And that's the space I wanted to live. But to your point, there aren't many women, especially with an immigrant background that is known, women of color that is known for luxury fashion. So I applaud you for that. And mentioning being an immigrant, mentioning growing your company, what would you say on the positive side and not so, as Clint would say, sunny side, are experiences that you can share with us where your background or being Mm -hmm. a model or female has impacted the growth and Mm -hmm. or challenges that were posed posed to you (laughs) on your journey? Well, there's been the good sides of it, which was growing up in Nigeria, I got to see, and especially, you know, in Nigeria, there's a lot of people that have that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. When you just, when you walk out of the door, you see the guy that has his like little makeshift store where he's selling soaps and gum, bubble gum, and different things that people can buy. As you continue to go down the street, you see somebody that has this space where they have like corn that they're roasting and you can buy on the street. Literally, you can buy anything on the streets of uh, Nigeria. So the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, is within us. I was born with that and I saw it around me. So that was the great aspect of it. I think as I continue to grow up and we moved to the States and I decided I wanted to be a designer, I then soon realized that especially the path that I've chosen, which is a luxury handbag designer, it's definitely become a lot better now. But back then, people didn't even grasp the fact that you can have your own brand. You know, everybody was used to the brands that have always been. So when I said I wanted to start my own brand, you know, the people that were around me, as well as the people that I was seeking to do business, we didn't understand starting your own brand. And then as time went on, it was that, what do you know about luxury? And it was just took a lot of education and being able to let people know what the brand was about and that luxury can be anything. Luxury is whatever makes you, it's a feeling. It's not an actual name. It's not an actual brand. It's the feeling and the craftsmanship that, you know, the products that you have and the longevity of the products that you have, all that plays into luxury. So it was a lot of education that I had to give to people, but we've continued to grow. So that's, it's been good. Cool. F&W has a philanthropic component to the way you do business. Can you tell us about that? How do you balance those things? Yeah. And that was our first for philanthropy program. And we started it because as we continue to grow, I always want to make sure that we're giving back in some capacity. So sometimes it's the, we partner with 
people like Wine, Women and Shoes, where we do these shows and we give 20% of our sales that we make. Sometimes it's when people buy online and they specify the charity that they want us to give the percentage to. We do that as well. I feel like it's important that as we continue to grow, that we are also giving back to the community around us. We've also even started FW Corp, which is where I'm helping people that want to start their own luxury, or it doesn't have to be luxury, handbag brands. We're helping them to manufacture and getting their brand started. Because like I said before, that was where we had the major hurdle, just getting started. And we're now helping a lot of women get their brands out there and um, getting through that process for them. I love how your philanthropy experience well, I guess the consulting is not necessarily philanthropy, but in my mind it is because <laughs> because there's so much more. We need more companies like yours. We need more founders like you that are willing to share their knowledge and pass it on. And yeah. the fact that you're incorporating a giving component within your business as a young mm-hmm. business and not a lot of companies are able to do that unless it's part of their narrative from the very beginning and you've chosen along with your husband to make it part of your story. And so, you know, I think that's to be commended. That's a really inspirational story. Not that anything else that you've told us isn't inspirational. I have another question before we wrap it up. I know we're, we're getting short on time, at least with this part of the show, but we had read your background and you've been successful and have expanded in a thousand stores around the country. It's incredible. But then not only that, have been successful in getting your product in the hands of celebrities. And not a lot of, I'm going to claim that FNW style is a tattoo. Not a lot of tattoos are able to accomplish that feat. So do you want to share a little bit about how you're able to get the attention of known celebrities such as the ones that we mentioned and any advice that you can give to our listeners before we wrap it up? Yes. I think the main advice that I can give for that is focus on the people that are actually behind the scenes working in these magazines and working with these celebrities. Who is the person behind the scenes actually making the decision and how can you make their job easier? That is really what has helped us be able to get to the celebrities. And that's what's helped us be able to get into these magazines is finding who the editors are. What stories have they written before and how can we help them write a story that includes our brands that make their job easier? So that's kind of where we come from. So when we email them, it's not about, oh, just write about our brand. It's about, hey, this is what we saw you write last year or this is what we're doing that might be great because all of them are looking for stories. So they are looking for bags for their celebrities. They're looking for stories for their magazine. So we are just providing that for them and actually caring about them and what will make their job easier when we email them and when we reach out to them. And that's really helped us be able to be successful. I love it. Nice. Any final comments or thoughts, Clint? I am hopeful that you have many more years of success and also you will start saying tattoo instead of brand. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but I now that I'm you know. learning more what tattoo is I, I'm liking it I'm liking it I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> okay very good very good we're honored to have you thanks for speaking about what you're you're working on and your journey and 
where can our listeners find your amazing bags and accessories? Yeah. So they can find us on our website, which is fwstyle.com. Also on social media, Instagram is our jam at fwstyle. So check us out there as well. I love it. And then TJ Maxx Marshall's Nordstrom's. (laughs) Okay. Double hands up for that. So thank you so much for joining us, Alexandria. We really loved all the insights you shared. And we hope that our listeners are as inspired as we were hearing your story and your success. And who knows, maybe we'll uh, have you back in the future to check in on you and and see all the other uh, mountains that you're climbing and and (laughs) goals that you're conquering. So thank you so much for being on Tattoos Not Brands. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Awesome. And for our listeners, it's not over yet. Stay tuned. We're going to play our infamous game. So don't go anywhere. It's time to play bot, brand, or tattoo. Yes, it is. On each Mm -hmm. episode, we'll be playing this game to help us better decipher what a tattoo mindset actually looks like, as opposed to a brand. Ready to get started, Clint? Of course. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going to select four names to categorize into either a tattoo or a brand. Let's see where it takes us. First up, F&W Style. F&W Style is a tattoo and it is one of the near perfect examples. It is the outpouring of the founder's personality and genius and her own view of the world. And she gets to in to the fullest extent possible, make her own rules and Mm -hmm. build something that gets her out of bed each day. And much like many of the other founders we have on our show, inspire and be inspired by the work that they do. Absolutely. I'm in agreement with you. I feel that it is built on what she felt was lacking in the space. And she is the customer. She represents F&W style. And she's able to pinpoint those nuances as relates to the the pain that F&W mm-hmm. style is solving mm-hmm. for its consumer. And then also bringing in philanthropy is something that's close to our heart, weaving that into her business model and allowing her story to be able to grow and evolve in whatever direction that she chooses to take it. So I agree with you. It's absolutely a tattoo and a great example of of, of one as well. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, next. Gucci. Gucci. Okay. Confession. I read the Gucci book. <laughs> you read also, everybody's book. Come on. <laughs> the House of Gucci. I also watched the movie. I'm but, sorry to hear that. But prior to reading the book and watching the movie, as a designer that's been in the space for a long time in the luxury category, I took it upon myself to really study as much as I could about these various competitors, potential competitors or indirect competitors. And Gucci was one of them. And I think this company has done a phenomenal job at finding a core symbol, I'm going to say, to create this loyalty, this extension of their brand. they It's a brand born in Italy, as most people mm-hmm. know, and they chose to bring in the colors of that country. And there's a tremendous amount of pride mm-hmm. that Italians have and history 
within our country. And not only that, when you think Italy, Italy is a brand in and of itself. It represents culture, it represents craftsmanship, it represents quality. So when you see the colors of Gucci, you also see culture, quality, Mm -hmm. craftsmanship, Mm -hmm. and then the sense of pride. It's a brand. (laughs) I could go on and on. So you're saying it's a brand. I'm saying it's a brand. A little unclear. Okay. I'm saying it's a brand. And again, if we're talking about walking down the street and asking 10 people and eight to nine saying, oh, I know Gucci. Yes. I mean, if we decided to just write down how many how many artists have referenced Gucci in their songs mm-hmm, alone? Exactly. <laughs> okay. I mean, let's just It's a great rhyme. You know, it's a great <laughs> rhyme. It's a it is a massive brand and really global. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think about all bird sneakers, tattoo or brand? Well, I'm not being paid to say this. <laughs> However, when I'm not wearing tennis, like shoes playing tennis, I'm wearing all birds. It's a everyday every night need that I have for my feet. Very comfortable, <laughs> sustainable. The ones that I choose are exactly what I want in terms of color and style. So yeah, I mean, it's certainly a tattoo in that it's new in the market and mm-hmm. it is growing and it's evolving. It's not known by by the masses yet, but it's is able to create super fans because all the elements are there for a certain segment of the market. Mm, I, I would agree. You, yeah, yeah. Are you a bird? I am not currently a bird, but hearing you, <laughs> hearing hearing your testimony of mm. <laughs> of mm-hmm. the the need of your feet being fulfilled so well, yeah. I, I'm gonna yeah, have yeah. to explore. I'll tell you though that I travel a lot for what I do and I'm a people watcher and I especially pay attention to what people are wearing when I'm out and about. Mm, and mm. I would see over and over again, the logo. I'm like, those sneakers are different. It's not Nike. It's not fans. It's not Adidas. And I'm looking, I'm like, what are those sneakers? And you would just see, I would see over and over again, this, the same logo appearing. Mm. And, and then I would say, oh, Allbirds. So it's a very unique, clean, modern, everyday mm. styling. I haven't seen mine. <laughs> okay, well, maybe when it's new. clean in terms of the, the design <laughs> aesthetic, let's just yes, say that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and yes. I could see why there are super fans for that mm-hmm. sneaker, but I'm not a bird yet, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, you're I agree. It's a tattoo for sure. All right. I thought, I just thought of another one Birkenstock. Birkenstock. I'm going to say tattoo. And I think for similar reasons that you mentioned for Allbirds, it, they, Birkenstock has been around for a long time. However, I can't say if you are in Miami or in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, well, maybe Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but anyway, <laughs> and if you're just picking any random city that eight or nine people out of the 10 would know what Birkenstock mm-hmm. is, I'm going to say no. I think that they have their super fan base. I think it's a very unique styling that represents comfort and outdoor living and this sort of freeness and carefreeness. But I don't think it's a brand for the reason that it's not for everyone. It's a very niche product that does mm-hmm. an excellent job fulfilling the needs for its super fans. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's definitely a, a brand in my household. My wife's a big everyday 
wearer when the weather is right. But it, her, the ones that she has, and I didn't know about them much before she had them, but they're more stylish. They're more they're like metallic and maybe kind of ironic in that way. So I think I brought that up just because sometimes perception is reality, right? And that's if true. one of the things that I write about in Tattoos Not Brands is that's fine. Perception mm-hmm. is reality as long as it works to your advantage as opposed to creating blind spots for you. For example, somebody was to start a, a shoe footwear company and said, oh, I, I want to take my cues from Birkenstock because they're such a big brand. They might have a more significant headwind because it, it, it's not a brand. It's a, it's a niche thing, like you said. So sometimes there's cautionary tales in perception. Mm. While it's reality, it also needs to be reflected in actual reality. You need to pull the camera back and look a little more macro before you declare something a brand. Yeah, very good points. And well, that brings us to the conclusion of bot, brand or tattoo. And so to summarize, we have F&W style, Allbird sneakers, and Birkenstock as tattoos, while Gucci is definitively a brand. (laughs) Got it. Good, good, good. That was fun. Yeah, that was. So, Clint, what are your thoughts on F&W style and all what Alexandria has accomplished to date? Yeah, it's always great to not be a consumer of the product and look at it from a really scientific point of view. The thing that kept foregrounding for me is the marketing mix, the four Ps, product, price, place, Mm. and promotion. And Alexandria's case in F&W, the product is, is the thing. There's no faking it in terms of these things, right? You you have so many choices. There's the brain is wired a little bit differently in everyone. So there's room in the market for billions of of options. And we that gets borne out in especially online marketplaces where you mm-hmm. can look at like hats, for example. So there is an endless set of choices. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a hallmark of a tattoo where it seems like she is designing to express herself, to be an ambassador for Nigerian culture, for her family, for her husband, for her community, which is, I think, where the just extremely high level of energy and passion is is deriving from. When you love it, you can tell. That's right. So it's a long way of saying when the product is in demand, Mm -hmm. then the other variables become much more interesting. So the price can be adjusted, the the distribution can be adjusted, and they all can be modulated and mitigated by promotion. You figure out what it takes in the blend of of distribution. Is wholesale an option? Is is Amazon? Is our street fairs, our retail? All these things are levers that you pull once you've proven that there's demand. Does that make sense? I mean, am am I getting that right about, you know, this business? Yeah, absolutely. And I think she said about 12 years or 12, 13 years that they've been in business and it's not easy. It's not easy as an independent designer fashion company to survive that long and to expand as much as they have. And I will agree. I think the product is their focal point and they continue to 
look under the microscope, look under the microscope, look under, you know, how can they go deeper, deeper, deeper as it relates to providing something that's going to be exciting, that's going to add value, that's going to appeal to the emotions of the customer, and then have them come back. Because I love handbags, but I don't always repeat the labels that I purchase unless it's something I fall in love with. And I feel that they're giving so much for you to fall in love with, to come back for your new seasonal bag. And so I also really like the fact that philanthropy is a big part of their story too. So I have another question, which will be my final question for you is as a business grows, do they continue to, and if they've chosen to do philanthropy, do they make that more known? Is it, should it be a bigger part of their story? What are your thoughts there? I think it's, it's a selective approach. It sounds to me that it wouldn't hurt for sure, but at the same time, it's even though they're 12, 13 years in, it's not a household name. It's just not. And it's okay. That's maybe the ambition is that, but the perhaps one of the levers of promotion mm-hmm. here is that. But mm. it doesn't occur to me that it being the primary way to grow. It feels like, you know, there's an opportunity there. You know, I'm always, I'm the first one to say, are you sure that's the right name for your company? And this is what a time where I think it's charming. I think it's great that it's so personal and everything, but it may be an impediment, in fact. And it, it may feel, it may take away from the direct approach of understanding that a purchase of F&W equates to philanthropy. It may be complicated in its construct right now. Hmm. What do you think? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about the name connecting to the narrative around giving, but I can see that. And it's interesting. How do you stay as sticky as a tattoo uh, with the goal of becoming a household name? And are there things you have to revisit and modify? And are there aspects of your business model that you need to emphasize more? So that's, that's a really interesting point that you make there. And I can see how that could if that's the number one goal, which it seems like it is, that's the North Star, they want to become a brand. If you're a household name, you're a brand, right? Would you agree? Right. And so yeah, 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 with that, it is looking at, okay, what are the different components of, what are the spokes on the wheel that create mm-hmm. a brand? And where are we now? And what do we need to do to get there, to go from tattoo to brand? So I think it's something yeah. to assess. And I feel that they're still in the tattoo phase. I know that's the North Star, but with the consulting, piece, which I think is brilliant. It's a great way to expand your Mm -hmm, business model. mm -hmm. But that's the beauty of being a tattoo, that you can do that, that you can extend in this direction and that direction. And that's a service. It's not the product. And it's something that they have a need for. They feel they're bringing more value to the market in a service-oriented way. And that's amazing. But again, yeah, I like that. Just just before we leave that, I I like that aspect as well. I think that's unique. And speaks to what the founders are passionate about that's different. It's a differentiating element, right? And there are some things that I think we heard that were potentially, what's the right word, elucidating for the marketplace, like the fabrics of royalty in Nigeria. Mm, I mean, that's so cool. That is so cool, right? And I want to I touch that. I want to see what that's about. And I think 
keying in on those like must have the audiences. And I, I write about this sort of ways to segment your audience in my book. And I call it the snow system. And it's, mm-hmm. it breaks down to people that are supposed to be interested, need to be interested, are obligated to be interested and want to be interested. Mm-hmm. They're all keyed into psychological motivations. So I would love to see Alexandria work on a snow analysis and see what that would mean in terms of how the market is motivated to learn more and what the the magnets are to drive them to consideration. Yeah, I'm excited to follow F&W style. And yeah, it would be great to see Alexandria and, and her team apply some of the methods that and processes that are outlined in, in your book, Tattoos Not Brand. And yeah, let's see. I mean, it's the North Star. And I think everyone who decides to take that journey of entrepreneurship to understand where they are, understand, are you a tattoo? And is that serving you? And is it going to serve you from here until eternity? And or do you have the North Star of becoming a brand, which is fine as well, but then here's what this looks like as well. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see see what happens and super inspired by her story. And the, but Definitely. unfortunately, this is the end. I'm going to start crying, Glenn. This is the end of the episode. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. We'll, no. we'll come up with something else to debate and to <laughs> categorize and to, I think the luxury here is we get to learn about amazing things, you know, yeah. from from fashion to rum to mm. coffee yeah. to software, you know, all the sexy things in life. <laughs> Especially software. <laughs> Especially software. Well, SaaS software as a service. Well, but yes, it is it has come to that time yeah. of ending our fun show. Yes. This brings us to the end, our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Tattoos Not Brands. Alexandria gave us a ton of great insights about how she launched and how she's growing her company, all while giving to charity. Make sure to tune in for our next episode. Absolutely. And if this is your first time tuning in, Tattoos Not Brands is a podcast that explores how we give meaning to our products and services without conforming ourselves to a rigid set of rules or copying the status quo. So I am your host, Nova. And I'm Clint, your other host. And again, as we said, tune in to the next episode. And if you liked what you heard today, make sure to leave us a rating, a five-star rating. It really, really helps us out. And thanks so much to our guest, Alexandra Ali from FNW Style. Until next time, ciao.